0: I kind of got bored just laying on the floor <laughs> doing breath holds, which made it even harder when I wanted to breathe. <laughs> my my wife was on the swim team, and she got annoyed because I'd get to the end of a breath hold, and then I'd start getting up and walking around instead of laying down and relaxing. So, <laughs>
1: she's
0: like, you're doing it wrong.
1: Welcome to How To. I'm Carvel Wallace. Do you remember as a kid trying to escape the heat and boredom in the middle of July? You'd find yourself at the community pool, the public beach, or even your neighbor's tiny inflatable pool. And then someone suggests like a breath holding contest. And of course, there's always that one kid that tries to cheat. And there's that one kid in goggles who's like watching everyone like a vigilante to make sure no one sneaks an extra breath. And eventually everyone bursts out of the water gasping for air, bragging about how long they lasted. Well, for this week's listener, holding his breath is no longer just a game.
0: My name's John. I tried out for a special operations group in the Air Force called Pararescue. The pool is kind of their big testing ground, and uh, I panicked in the pool and quit.
1: John joined the Air Force later than most. He wanted to change from his job, but more than that, he was drawn to this Pararescue group.
0: The Pararescue job, to me, seems like the, the most morally defensible job in the DOD. Uh, their main mission is rescuing people. Their motto is that others may live. So I really like mm-hmm. that, having a higher purpose and it's to help other people.
1: Essentially, the Pararescue group retrieves and treats wounded military members and civilians from all around the globe. They are highly trained in multiple disciplines like rock climbing, scuba diving, and parachuting. Yet, despite hours and hours of intense physical training to prepare to try out for this group, it was holding his breath that pushed John to his limit.
0: I would immediately be like, what am I doing? Like there were times when like I'd dive under and then it's like my body was like, nope. And I was oh, back wow. on the surface before. Uh-huh. Like, it definitely felt more like I knew that I had air. It just sucked and my body. was kind of like, well, why don't we just go get some
1: more?" <laughs> right. It was extra frustrating to John because you don't have time to recover and try again. You go from event to event, since the whole point is to be pushed to your limits and see how you do. There's
0: two different kind of quitters. There's guys that feel relieved, and there's guys that immediately mm. regret it. And I immediately right. regret it. Like, I got out of the pool, they have you blow a horn to, to show that you quit. And the horn was at the other end of the pool. So the whole way I was walking oh, to the horn, wow. I was like, what? And it's, it's a little bit out of body. I was like, what? I can't believe I just did that.
1: Wow. And then what did it feel like afterwards? Like, how did you make that transition in the coming days that this thing that you had been thinking so long about doing was now over?
0: Immediately after I was already talking about the possibility of coming back, which, you know, apparently a lot of, a lot of people do. So, um, but it wasn't until I was like back at the dorm, sitting around for a couple of weeks, waiting to get my new job in the military that I was just like, oh man. Mm. So the more I learned about it, the, the more it was like, all right, well, <sighs> It's gonna be a longer process than I planned, but I didn't join the military to do a regular job, so.
1: But you've decided to go back and give it a shot again, and that's why you're here. Right. To help John on his mission to conquer his need to breathe, we've brought in a world-renowned expert. My name is Kirk Kroc.
2: I'm the founder and president of Performance Freediving International. I'm also a performance advisor with the Liminal Collective, which is a human performance group where we're trying to democratize human performance. And since 2017, I've been working for James Cameron on the Avatar sequels where I train the cast and crew in breath hold diving.
1: Besides training celebrities like Sigourney Weaver, Kate Winslet, and Tom Cruise, Kirk has coached freediving athletes to 23 world records, and his trainings are used by special operations forces in the militaries of three different nations.
2: Two months ago, I was in Okinawa training the pararescue 31st rescue squadron of the pararescue group in a five-day program, right? And I've worked with pararescues before, as well as other special operations groups. So I understand the training you've gone through and just know that, you know, you're not the first person to experience what you've gone through and then been successful in the
1: end. When we come back... We'll hear more of Kirk's stories and the techniques he's learned that could help John stay calm under the water. And if you're thinking, I'm not going to join a pararescue squad, what's this got to do with me? Stick around. I think you'll be surprised. We'll be back in a minute, but don't hold your breath. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card.
3: The way of water has no beginning and no end.
1: To get a sense of what Kirk Kroc does, look no further than one of last year's biggest movies, Avatar 2, The Way of Water.
3: The sea is around you and in you.
2: what we really tried to do was was, uh, bring to life the real physics of being underwater. So if you've seen it, hopefully, you know, divers in the audience look at it and say, that's exactly what it looks like underwater.
4: Our hearts beat in the womb of the world. Our breath burns in the shadows of the deep.
2: I do remember this one time where Sigourney was shooting. And she had this very intense scene, like, you know, a lot of metabolic workload to it. And, you know, both myself and the stunt guy, who was going to be opposite her. Hi. Kitty. Kitty. Everything's going to be right. That's who she was going to be acting to, and he was going to be down at the same depth on breath hold as well. Big breaths. You know, she was 69 years old at that point, and he's this young stud of a breath hold guy.
0: <laughs> nice breath.
2: so we get down there and she starts into her scene and you know we're getting to a minute mark and, and then we get to the minute 30 and you can just see she's like wrapped in her in her thing and she's going and I'm looking at him and I can see there's you know, a little urge to breathe that's starting, <laughs> and then we get to the two-minute breath hold, and she's still going. And then at the two and a half minute mark, he keeps looking at me, <laughs> and Sigourney like, "When is she going to stop?" And now I can see just this intensity of his urge to breathe starting, to, and Sigourney's just kind of eyes closed, <laughs> still doing her thing, and I was like, "Holy cow!" I'm supposed to be here, you know, safetying Sigourney. And I feel like I might have to go and, uh, and safety the, the stunt guy. And ultimately, uh, just a little bit before three minutes or something like that, you know, she finished and got to the surface. And, uh, and right away, you know, the stunt guy came to the, to the surface gasping for air.
1: Long before Kirk was swimming with the stars, he was a self-described water rat He spent so much time at the pool as a kid that he ran out of friends who'd go with him.
2: When I was in grade 10, I knew I'd have a business at an early age and I knew it would be water-based. Had no idea it was gonna be scuba diving or let alone doing what I am today. So I became a scuba instructor, uh, started a couple of dive shops. One was initially an inland dive shop when I was 20 years old. And,
1: um, And then the second one I started
2: was in the Cayman Islands
1: he then moved into technical diving which requires additional training and even mixed gases that's what you have to do when you go really deep it basically means taking extra tanks with non-breathable gases that help you with decompression kirk has gone as deep as the 550 foot range which for context is over five times deeper than advanced recreational divers are allowed to go it took nine tanks and six and a half hours of decompressing but even with all that It was free diving, diving without any tanks at all that really called to him.
2: Because it just felt so liberating and free to not have all this equipment hanging off of you or or blowing bubbles and you know, there was this silence and this sense of freedom and a real deep connection with the environment and the the different animals within it. Because you're entering the water on their terms and so they're a lot more accepting of you. And so during my time in the Cayman Islands, I eventually got the opportunity to work with a couple of world-class freedivers and then started training different people. And I trained two people to national and world records, Brett
1: Lemaster and Tanya Streeter. The techniques that Kirk developed and that John is trying to master are not just for hobbies. In combat situations, they can mean the difference between life and death.
2: You're on operation at night, the enemy's above you, and now you need a survival breath hold to get you through it. You have to keep your fecal matter consolidated, Mm. if you know what I mean. (laughs) And so... (laughs) So what is that breath hold time that's going to allow you now to problem solve yourself out of a situation? Because going to the surface is even more deadly. That's where the enemy's at. Right. You can develop a really comfortable breath hold where you could problem solve.
1: Yeah, I want to pick up on some of those because, you know, what I'm hearing in John's story is that, you know, he's um, having a mental challenge. In other words, the, the fear that looms large Is taking over his ability to problem solve in those moments. And what you train people to do is to work breath in such a way that that fear doesn't overtake too soon, too early, right? And so I'm wondering how it is that you go about like getting people to that place. Because if I hold my breath, uh, yes, I'm going to get panicked (laughs) and I'm going to, I'm going to want to like get out of there as quickly as possible. So, um, how do you prepare people to like address that?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, first off, you have to realize that there's three things at play, right? There's the actual physiological component of what your body's going through. There's the physical component of your body, your physicality. And then there's the psychological component. So the thing I like to do when addressing those three different things is is first understand that we need to address safety, doing breath hold training can have a very deadly tragic component to it. And there's ways you have to go around training safely. So first off, there's never any breath hold training that we would do in water that doesn't have a buddy who knows what they're looking at and uh, knows how to supervise you and take care of you.
1: Okay, so here is probably the most important rule that we can give you, be safe. If you were interested in training, do so under a professional or with someone who is trained to supervise you and is focused only on you. So no, the teenage lifeguard at your local pool doesn't count.
2: And then once we've got safety worked out, then the next level we wanna touch on is gonna be technique, right? There are ways we breathe up that are really designed more to relax you or to recover you understand that it's going to be an accumulation of a whole bunch of things you're going to put together to make huge changes then what magically happens is the performance comes the performance and the comfort right and so all of those things can happen together
1: i'm sitting here taking notes like oh this is maybe i should train for this instead of doing this podcast stuff but i'm wondering john what's exciting to you about that i mean you mentioned that that uh you know, it's the most defensible job in DOD, but like I, a lot of people would be just be like, you know what? I'm just going to train for a triathlon and keep it moving. What draws you to this particular kind of work? So I did a couple triathlons to train <laughs> to get into this. because, <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, like, It just seems like we only have one mm-hmm. life and that's kind of the sentiment I have in my brain. Like it's why not see try one of the hardest things that seems like one of the coolest things and just, See what I'm capable of. Right. That way I don't die not knowing what I'm actually capable of.
1: Right. I love that. So why do they include water drills? Is that because you'll be doing like aquatic rescue or is there also an element there where it's like they want to push your limits and find out kind of what your upper limit is of this kind of like intensive work?
0: It's both. So for pararescue specifically, their job is to rescue anybody anywhere on the planet. And the planet's, you know, 70% water. So they do a whole lot of water work. And then the other thing is also just to test their limits. You know, they can't, shoot at you and see how you do in combat. (laughs) But the next closest thing is get rid of your air supply and see, you know, whether you panic or not.
2: Right. I mean, the water is the great equalizer, right? So our primal fears are the fear of falling, being eaten and suffocation. And so when we look at breath holding and the cessation of breathing and going into apnea, that cessation of breathing, um, we touch on that primal fear of suffocation and so some people have a very strong reaction and very strong breathing reflexes i mean although he might have rung the bell and immediately regretted it all the things he describes of leading up to it and and the things he's done like the triathlons and and all of that to me don't indicate someone who's who's quick to ring the bell and glad he did (laughs) um and so really it's just about how many different arrows can you put in your quiver how many tools can you have in your tool belt to get the result you need?
1: I love hearing that. And I know that that means a lot because Kirk, you've trained a lot of people. John, I'm wondering if you could maybe help us by describing like what you remember literally happening to you when you're under the water. Is it that you feel the physical pressure of the weight of water? Is it that you experience a kind of like lightheadedness? Like what physically seems to be happening for you in those moments when you realize This is too much and you can't go forward.
0: I grew up, like, during the summers, I had family that lived in Florida near the beach. So, you know, summer vacations, I would play in the water. So I thought I was pretty comfortable in the water growing up. But uh, they they make you real uncomfortable pretty quick (laughs) when you get there. (laughs) Like, I've held my breath long enough to kind of get the tingly fingers and stuff like that. But when I was actually there at Selection, that's how I know that, you know, I had plenty of, of oxygen. It was mentally um, what was getting me because I didn't get that kind of tingly, oh, no, I'm going to pass out right now sensation. Mm -hmm. It was more of, uh, you know, diving in the water. And then that panicky, wanting to breathe feeling came on quicker than expected. Mm -hmm. And then my brain would start trying to think too far ahead, like, oh, there's you know, I still have half the length of the pool to go. And then before I know it, I'm on the surface because I was thinking too far ahead instead of you know, just staying in the moment, focusing on what's in front of me at, at that point in mm-hmm. time.
1: Um, in general, how much of, of people's breath hold struggles has to do with like outside anxieties as opposed to physical limitations?
2: I think what you see is both, right? Mm-hmm. If someone's coming to me recreationally, they've already kind of pre-selected themselves as having a, an interest in the water, right? And if they're coming to me for free diving, they've self-selected themselves from that point of view. So they're comfortable with the water. They, you know, they want to get into it. When I do breath hold survival programs with, you know, Red Bull athletes or, or people in the military, um, they're there because they have to do it right so whether they're you know comfortable or not comfortable in the water this is something that they have to you know do and overcome so there's things that we would want to do ahead of time that would change and train some of your physiology to be more adaptive or more accommodating to higher levels of carbon dioxide and also adapt your breathing so that when you are in that high metabolic state and you do have a more acidic blood pH and you do have a lot of carbon dioxide, what is that breathing you can do to get rid of the CO2 that you can in the short amount of time in which you have without going too far and hurting yourself. There's some really good dry land training. We could work out ahead of time and then just adjusting your breathing and putting all those things together then develops that psychological comfort Mm because now you got some really good tools in the toolkit. You're seeing really good, you know, uh, responses with them.
1: That increases your psychological comfort and away we go. Right. That makes sense, Kirk. But I'm wondering if you could explain some of the on land breathing exercises that you give people who are starting out, um, in order to like get them to a place where they, they have more comfort.
2: Yeah, sure. So, you know, your lungs are balloons trapped inside a cage. Right. And that cage is your rib cage and all of the muscles surrounding it. Your lungs actually have the ability to expand more than the cage allows. So, you know, the one thing I would work on is the flexibility of that cage. So yoga is a great way to do that. And what's happening is your your ribs are are pulling apart. And between your ribs are your intercostal muscles and you're opening up your potential to take a bigger breath, and that big breath is your fuel tank, right? You're getting in more air. In that air is 21% oxygen, 79% nitrogen. That means you're getting more oxygen per breath hold with less effort. And so there's a number of of stretches like that that you can do that open up and expand your potential.
1: Okay, here's another tip. If you wanna get better at holding your breath, try different stretches stretching out your diaphragm and the muscles between your ribs can help those muscles to relax when they're being strained in a long breath hold
2: the other thing i would say is how we hold our breath is another component of this meaning how i use and close my throat off john if you were to take a full breath in and then to be able to hold that in just relax your chest hold in that full breath but with your mouth open your tongue at the back of your throat almost to hold that air in. Imagine if I blow up a balloon and I'm holding the volume of air in the balloon by holding all of the walls of the balloon open. That's a lot of work. Or I can blow up the balloon and then pinch the little neck of the balloon with two fingers really easy and hold that whole volume in. That's what we're trying to do when we're, when we take that last breath is take that huge breath in, be nice and flexible. We don't have huge elastic tension, but then use my throat to hold the air in, you, you remove a lot of work from it because it's only the small glottis muscles that are, that are, you know, doing that work rather than sitting there mm-hmm. with your cheeks bursting, trying to hold that air in.
1: Kirk, are there ways um, for our listeners that you have found you can use breathing techniques just in regular life as a way of dealing with anxiety, stress, discomfort, etc.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, just the the slow breaths we talked about are really important, right? Breathing is an autonomic function, right? We do it without, without having to think. And when we control breathing, that can influence heart rate. That can influence everything else in the body. So, yeah, I, I use it for focus. We know breathing is the foundation for getting into flow state, which is your peak of human performance and what you, you do. Right, it's when you're you're doing your best, be it you know, writing something in a, you know, a paper or playing pool or whatever we're doing. When you get in that peak of performance, when you're working at your optimal, we know that breathing and ritualization is the thing that starts there. So that'd be another thing is what is your ritual? How do you go from being John, the family guy with mortgages and kids and, you know, all the pressures of life to John, the medieval warrior in his you know, suit of armor focused on battling the dragon.
1: I love that. And I wonder, John, if you would be willing to try holding your breath right now and seeing uh, how long until you have an overwhelming urge to breathe.
0: Yeah, just do like a max
1: breath hold? Yeah.
0: Yeah,
2: here's, here's one thing I would say. And first off, uh, is there anyone around? Is there anyone at your house with you right now? Yeah, let me go grab my wife real quick so I have my safety person.
1: We're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, John's wife will be monitoring him for safety, and Kirk is going to walk him through a proper breath hold. Don't go anywhere.
4: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.
1: We're back with John, who is about to be guided through a breath-holding exercise by our expert, Kirk Kroc.
2: Okay, so John, hopefully you've got a nice little comfortable spot where you can lay down. We're gonna do this safe, plus it's a little bit more relaxing. And you know, when you're in the pool, you're in a horizontal position, not a vertical, right? And you're kind of weightless. And so what we'll do is we'll do a two minute breathe up so you just kind of have to follow along. And in the last 30 seconds of that breathe up, we're going to do those breaths that I call purging breaths, which you're going to take a breath into the full upper chest, but not like, don't work it. Just take a nice, comfortable full breath in, and then you're going to flicker that birthday candle. And we'll count that down. So you just kind of keep following what I'm doing. And then you're going to take your last breath in, nice peak inhalation, we call it, from the diaphragm to the intercostals to the shoulder or the subclavian. And then you're going to Swallow, hold that air in at the glottis, just close your eyes and kind of chill out. And while you're doing that, that breath hold, I'll maybe describe and have you do some relaxation things where I'm going to take you from your toes to your fingertips, to your forehead, and you just, you know, kind of focus in on the body part I'm talking about, right? This is all kind of the mental game. So in the first off, the breathing I'm going to have you do is just diaphragm and comfortably into the lower chest. So so here we're gonna go. We're gonna take a breath in stomach to lower chest, pause, pause, and now exhale over 10 seconds. And as you exhale, use your tongue at the roof of your mouth to make like a shh sound is what we're gonna do, all right? So it's gonna be breathe in, stomach, chest, pause, pause, and then exhale three, 1,000, four, 1,000, eight, 1, 000, nine, 1, 000, 10, and then breathe in stomach again, breath in, pause, pause, and exhale, one, one thousand, two, two, 1,000, three, 1, 000, four, 1, 000, five, and let's hear that shh sound on your exhale. So now what we're gonna do, this is gonna be our last 30 seconds. Just relax, let our heart rate slow down a little bit, Now, breathe in diaphragm, chest, shoulders, nice and relaxed, not too full. Swallow, and just kinda close off your throat and hold the
1: air. So now John is gonna hold his breath as long as he can. And during this, Kirk is gonna take him through a meditative exercise. This one you can try at home too, without holding your breath. But if you do wanna hold your breath, make sure you're not alone
2: want you to do at this point is with your eyes closed, I'm going to describe a body part and I want you to focus on that body part and relax it. So your toes, feet and ankles, I just want you to imagine those being nice and relaxed, nice and easy. And then focus on your calves, your knees and your thighs. So your toes to your thighs, nice and relaxed, nice and easy. Imagine your made out of wax the floor is a little warm and you're kind of slowly melting into it at this point i want you to focus on your your hips lower back and stomach so toes to hips nice and relaxed and then your back all the little vertebrae from your lower back all the way to your shoulders so toes to shoulders, nice and relaxed, everything relaxed. You're just kinda slowly melting into the floor. And now your shoulders, your biceps, your elbows, your forearms, and your fingers. From your toes to your fingers, just nice and relaxed. Just melting into the floor. And now let's work on the neck. So the neck, the jaw, the tongue, the cheeks, the eyes, the eyebrows, the forehead. From the toes to the fingertips to the forehead. Just nice and relaxed. Again, you're kind of made of wax. You're just slowly kind of flattening out and melting into the floor right now. So from toes to thighs, nice and relaxed. And you know, you're gonna feel urges to breathe. And there we go, right? Okay, and then you catch your breath, take six good breaths. In fact, take them at the top half of the lungs. We call that recovery breathing, right? The six most important breaths you're ever going to take, John, are at the end of your breath hold (laughs) when you're recovering.
1: The urge to get up and move on might be strong right now. But it's important, Kirk says, to take these deep recovery breaths so you don't black out after stressing your body with the long breath hold.
2: So, you know, one breath hold, your first breath hold. I was a little late in starting, but I have, that was around 215, maybe 220 from the time you really took the breath hold to to finishing. There
0: you go. That's
2: actually one of the longer ones I've ever done.
0: Okay. Good.
1: <laughs> Look at that.
0: I was thinking it was a lot shorter actually. Uh, okay. The last time I did a max breath hold was a couple of months ago and it was like a minute 15 or something.
1: Look at that. Well, so
2: here's the really cool part, right? So that was a 2 minute breathe up, maybe a little bit longer. Uh and then I was a 220 breath hold on your first breath hold. So that's great, but understand the the real breath hold will come on your maybe third or fourth breath hold like right now that breath hold you created acidity in the blood and the body just woke up and said whoa i gotta change and adapt for what he's doing right so your next breath hold would be better then the next breath hold after that and so on and so on so train the way you fight fight the way you train Push yourself to the urges of uncomfortable breath holds so you get used to it. Pain purifies. Embrace the pain. Listen, mostly you're motivated. You want to do it. You're willing to do what it takes to get done. So I have no
1: doubt that, you know, you'll be successful in the long run. That's awesome. John, can you talk a little bit about your reaction to that experience? Yeah, I noticed...
0: When I started getting kind of the the guppying, the mm-hmm. you know spasms mm-hmm. for breath, it actually did come from the diaphragm. My chest was moving instead of my throat, which is what normally happens when I'm underwater trying it.
2: And that's what we want. We want the diaphragm to be where we feel the urge to breathe rather than a tightening in the chest or necessarily the swallowing. That's great.
0: Yeah. And so the the difference in the purge breaths is like the ones I was doing before was more of a <gasps> And so this one is, it's still upper chest, but it's more of that. it's a, a little calmer is kind of what you're getting at. So you don't get that tension. Yeah.
2: And if I'm doing like really aggressive breaths, that's work, right? Work is stress and tension yeah. and carbon dioxide and oxygen being used. So we always try and do everything in the relaxed state, right? That, that is the silver bullet in breath holding and free diving, relaxation being the key.
0: I'm, I'm willing to bet that that, panic that hits so quick like right after i dive into the pool yeah was probably because i'd build up too much tension
2: yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. absolutely Mm -hmm. and then when you're on your swim it's the it's the markers along the way i've only got three more strokes then i get a turn i've only got three more strokes and just you know take the finding dory finding nemo just keep (laughs) swimming just keep (laughs) swimming and don't give into the like gotta go faster gotta go faster to get there because right that's when you exponentially start to use more oxygen and energy and heart rate than is going to move you forward. Right. And then that screws you over
0: for the the next breath that's coming. Absolutely.
1: Amazing. I really appreciate how clear and um, helpful you were today, Kirk. And thanks John for your continued work and your persistence. It's really inspirational. Thanks guys. It was a lot of fun.
0: John, look forward to hearing good things about your success.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Kirk.
0: I really appreciate it. I'm going to practice some of this tonight in the pool session. Okay. Safely. (laughs) Okay. Yes. With my safeties.
1: (laughs) I don't know about you, but I rarely think about my breathing. As Kirk points out, it's autonomic. We do it without ever noticing. And yet it's so essential, not only to our survival, but to our sense of well-being our sense of safety, comfort, and wholeness. When we feel breathing stress, we feel emotional stress and vice versa. And no wonder the chemicals in our bloodstream are changing. Its makeup is shifting. It's amazing to think that just by paying a little attention, taking it a little slower, and understanding a little more about how we work, we can maybe find a little more peace and wholeness. Huge thanks to John for sharing his journey to joining the rescue squad. We know you've got it in you. And an extra special thanks to Kurt Kroc for all his underwater expertise. Look for his work in the latest Avatar movie and get your own help from him at his website. We'll include a link in the show notes. Do you need help diving for a new goal in your life? Send us a note at howto at slate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001. And we might have you on the show. And if you like what you heard today, please tell a friend. That helps us help more people. How To's executive producers Derek John, Rosemary Belson and Kevin Bendis produced this episode. Merritt Jacob is senior technical director. Charles Duhigg created the show. Amanda Ripley is my co-host. And I'm Carvo Wallace. Thanks for listening.